Today on Growing Through Grace. Paul's defense is not a sermon on Old Testament prophecy. What he does do is he goes to his personal life and said, here's what Jesus has done for me. You might have picked a lot of different subjects to say, this might work. Paul reached for personal testimony. Listening to Growing Through Grace with Pastor Jacob Elam of Morningstar Christian Chapel in Whittier, California. Our studies in the book of Acts have now brought us to the steps of the temple as Paul, who is about to be arrested, asks to speak. Now this is something Paul has wanted to do for a long time, speak to a crowd of fellow Hebrews about Jesus. So let's all turn to Acts chapter 22 verse 1 as our teacher gives us a quick review to lead us into today's message. Here's Pastor Jack. All right, Acts chapter 22, verse 1. After 15 and a half years or so of traveling and planning churches, of suffering, and sometimes uh, very much so, Paul returns from his third missionary journey with a real heart to go to Jerusalem. He had devised an idea. He would go to a lot of Gentile churches. He would ask their elders to send somebody along with an offering from these churches to help the poor who were really struggling in the church in Jerusalem. There was a divide between them. Grace hadn't really caught hold yet in many ways. Uh, In Jerusalem, they were proud of their religious practices. They didn't let go of them. Paul was able to. Peter was able to. James and some of the folks were not. And so Paul thought this would be a great way to bridge the gap. As he made that last swing before he would go down back to Jerusalem, though he lived in Antioch, 300 miles north. He had a whole bunch of guys with him, a lot of offerings that they had with him as well, and they were just you know, excited about what God might want to do with them to bridge that gap between grace and that, and that religious kind of mentality in, in the religious capital, if you will, of Jerusalem. Paul was warned as he traveled by just about everyone he came in contact with that that there was lots of trouble waiting for him, that there was binding and jail and punishment. But Paul didn't care. His heart was, I want to go minister to my people. I love them. I'm sure that if I have a chance to talk with them, that they'll listen. Last time, if you were with us, Paul arrived in Jerusalem on that last leg of his third missionary journey. He met with James and the elders. The people were glad to see him in the church. James and the elders listened to Paul's testimony of how God had worked amongst the Gentiles and how the Lord had saved and and brought such awesome deliverance. They were quick to praise the Lord with him. In fact, uh, in chapter 21, verse 20, there are two ands. The first and was, and they praised the Lord. But then they said something else. They said, well, we have a lot of zealous people here too in our church, Paul. But they're not zealous for Jesus. What they said was, they're zealous for the law. And they're taught that way. And we learn that the bottom line, at least of the church in Jerusalem, was that they were more interested in their maintenance of an old religious system, though they were saved. Understand that they knew the Lord. Then they were in the grace of God or the evangelism of the world. They, weren't, they were still legalistically bound in many things. 
And it's a kind of a, a tragic, tragic indictment. Paul knew it was there. He had conflicts with him before. But there was a lot of zeal, zeal zealousness, <laughs> zeal or zealousness, I think both work, for tradition. There, there was a lot of uh, love for custom and legalism and culture and exclusivity and, and, and works and all. But there wasn't much excitement for Jesus. So... They said to Paul last week, you know, everyone knows that you're the kind of guy running around the world telling Jews they don't have to follow the law. They can just go to Jesus. There's this, this grace thing. And I don't think Paul could have denied it. I mean, <laughs> without apology, he, he would say and, and has said the customs and the religious practices of Judaism were at best a signpost that pointed to Jesus who would come. And now that he's come, we're, we're a lot of, we have lots of freedom in Christ by his grace. We looked last week a bit at, at the Roman letter, especially the, the letter to Galatians, where that's kind of the subject of why he was writing. They suggested to Paul, the James Church, a compromise. Since it was Pentecost, here's something you can do to relieve tension between us and what we've heard about you. We'd like you to go to the temple, and we suggest that you involve yourself in a devotion that four men from our church are making. It was called a Nazarite vow. It could be done both by men and women. It was usually for a, a short period, but it was a time of just devotion to the Lord. It, it, there, there's things you couldn't do during that time, things that you could. Um, at the end, you were, were obligated, according to the Old Testament, to offer several sacrifices. So it was costly to you. You took time off of work. You spent a lot of time in the, tabern in, the, in the temple worshiping God and praying and all. They said this to Paul, why don't you finance these guys? Why don't you pay for all four of them? Why don't you, you go with them every day for a week to the, te you know, to the temple? Let's, let's, you know, everyone will go away saying, wow, that's very conciliatory. He, he isn't at all what we've heard about him. And, and then maybe we can bridge a gap. Well, that wasn't going to happen. But Paul, we mentioned to you last week, in the spirit of wanting to love his own, compromised, and, and compromise never accomplishes God's work. God's work. Well, it, it worked all right for the week, but at the end of the week, someone saw Paul near the temple in town with a Gentile. And some of the folks from Ephesus, Jewish men from Ephesus in town for the holidays, saw Paul and knew him from then, he had been there for three years, they began to accuse him of bringing this Gentile into the, into the temple, which was religiously illegal. It was a violation. It was blasphemy. Paul hadn't done it. It was a lie. But yet they stirred the people up. You know, it was a religious week. The crowds were already kind of on edge. They mobilized for a riot. Paul was grabbed by the people and they were beating him and probably would have killed him. That's the kind of religious kind of fervor that Paul found in the city. Fortunately, up on the Temple Mount area, there is a place, or there was a place called the Antonio Fortress, built by the Romans to keep an eye on, on the place that oftentimes exploded. And so they uh, sent the soldiers down. The, they, they grabbed Paul. They separated him from the crowds. They saved his life. The captain tried to ascertain what was going on. There were no corroborating statements at all. The crowd was unruly. He put Paul in protective custody. He, um, his name was uh, Claudius Lysias. You can read about his name in chapter 23 next week, verse 26. 
And, and Paul said this to the fellow as they were on the, on the steps going up to the, to the Antonio Fortress. And, and he said, could I speak to the people? I'd, I'd like to address them. And he gave them him, him an all right to do so. All right, if you can you know, dispel the crowd, that'd be great. Paul believed, and we talked about it last week, that he could reach them if given half a chance. This was, he loved the Jews. He was a Jew at heart. God sent him to the Gentiles. But even in his sending, when the Lord sent Ananias to pray for him in chapter 9 of Acts, the Lord said, You're gonna, I'm going to show him what things he has to suffer. I'm going to send him to the Gentiles, put him before kings. And then he said, and before the Jews. So it did come in at the end, at last. And Paul, you know, he's been everywhere else. He thought this was his time. So you can call chapter 22, Sermon from the Steps of the Antonio Fortress. It was Paul's dream come true but it would turn out to be a nightmare. Verse 40, or let's start at verse 40 of chapter 21, the last verse. It says, so when he had given him permission, Paul stood on the stairs, motioned the people to be quiet, and when there was great silence, he spoke to them in the Hebrew, sorry, in the Hebrew language, saying, brethren and fathers, hear my defense before you, and when they had said, heard that he spoke to them in the Hebrew language, they all kept the more, kept the more silent. And, they said, and then he said this, I am a, indeed a Jew. I was born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel, taught according to the strictness of our father's law, and I was zealous towards God as you are today. Now the words defense, verse 1, is the word for apologetic, which is why it's where we get our word apology from. But the word apologetics means to defend your faith with reason or to give an account of what you believe and why, the rationale. And to be able to articulate what you believe and why. Now, interesting to me, you know, put yourself in Paul's, at least in, the, in that, that space that the scriptures give us, these guys had just been beating on Paul and would have killed him. This was out of control. The soldiers spared his life. Paul was probably, you know, his eye was <laughs> swollen shut, bleeding from his head. I mean, these guys were serious. And, and yet Paul wanted to share with them. And the first thing he calls them, as you begin to read, is brethren, brothers, and fathers. I might have had a different name for the group that was trying to kill me. But Paul had a heart that he just wanted to minister to the people. So to these would-be murderers, you are my fathers and you are my brethren, my family. Paul begins with his Jewish background to share with the people. What would you have shared with him? And he speaks to them in the Hebrew tongue. The common language of Paul's day was, was Aramaic. Jesus spoke it as well. The ancient Hebrew was dead in Paul's day. It was used by scholars, and, and no doubt, Paul was not speaking the ancient Hebrew there. Here he's speaking in the Hebrew tongue. He's speaking Aramaic, which everyone understood. So it's kind of like Latin today. If you grew up as a Catholic like I did, I actually took Latin classes. Well, nobody speaks Latin. My dad used to say, it's Latin to me. I remember pig Latin, but I don't think that was the same thing. So I think people had all heard about Paul. Now they were seeing him for the first time. And he began to speak, and he spoke a language that they understood, and they were interested. Notice they were quiet enough to begin with, they were very quiet now. Paul's defense, his apology, his you know, uh, apologetic, is not 
a sermon on Old Testament prophecy, though I think he probably could have talked about it for hours. He was a scholar indeed. He did not do a study for these crowds on types, on what the temple represented or what the priesthood really meant and, and how Jesus fulfilled all of those things. You might have picked that as a topic because these are religious folks in town for you know, you know, the Pentecost. All right, granted, they tried to kill a guy, but still, they're religious folks, and they're pretty upset and worked up. And Paul maybe needs to move quickly. He doesn't do that at all either. He doesn't talk about types. What he does do is he goes to his personal life and said, here's what Jesus has done for me. And I point that out to you because in a time that we might have picked a lot of different subjects to say, this might work, Paul reached for personal testimony. And that's important because at a time when God would like to use you, many of us excuse ourselves by saying, well, I don't know a lot. You know, I don't know every verse. I'm afraid to start talking on a subject. Yeah, but you have a testimony as to what God has done for you. And that's exactly where Paul turns to. In front of this large, angry crowd, his one opportunity, he simply turns to personal testimony of what the Lord has done for him. And I think that should inspire us because all of us are capable of telling what the Lord has done in our life. When that blind man was healed by Jesus in John 9, and then he was questioned, first they questioned his parents who said, well, you can ask him. And then they asked him and they said, well, this guy, whoever it was, you know, he broke the Sabbath law and, and the blind man able to see one. Well, I don't know what he did, but I'll tell you what I, I know. I was blind and now I see. His testimony was just, God did this. He worked this out. And that's, the, that's where Paul is turning. You know, don't, don't be ashamed of what God has done in your life. God uses testimony in, in the Bible more than anything else. He'll stand before King Agrippa and his court and Paul will tell his testimony. The details are the same. The emphasis is a bit different. He's got a different audience, so he emphasizes a bit different things. But it's the same story. It doesn't change from situation to situation. So he refers to God's work in his life, not only in sharing in the book of Acts, but if you get to the epistles, Paul is forever going, oh, you know what happened to me? And he's always interjecting doctrine with personal relationship experiences that he's had with the Lord. So he starts in verse 3 by saying, look, I'm a Jew, not only am I a Jew, I'm a Hellenist Jew. A Hellenist was a Jew who had a Greek background, lived outside of the religious center of Jerusalem, would oftentimes bring with him in practice more liberal thinking than the Jewish practices that you would find in Jerusalem, which was a very strict city. And I should say to you that are going to Israel with us, it is still that way today. Jerusalem is, is very strict in their religious practice. There's lots of Hasidic Jews and communities and rules and regulations. You won't find them in the Galilee. Ga Galilee sounds it's a nice lake to hang out with. You know, the people are kind and easy and, and they don't have that, that, that kind of driven kind of religious, you know, uh, kind of heart. So Paul came from a, a place called Tarsus. It's a, a port city in Asia Minor. It was along the caravan route through the, along the Euphrates. It, Paul would have been a, a cosmopolitan kind of young man. He'd, he'd have met everyone from everywhere, kind of like where you live. But notice he says, I was also brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel. Gamaliel, at, at 12 years old, his bar mitzvah, Paul was sent by his 
parents to Hebrew school in town, taught by the finest teacher of his day, Gamaliel, who was a, a disciple of a, a fellow named Rabbi Hillel. Everyone admired this man. He was very conservative. He believed in tolerance, not violence. He gave, he, you'll find him in Acts chapter 5 at a meeting um, talking about how the, the Jews should handle the early church. Gave some pretty sound advice. Nobody listened to it at all. We have some of Gamaliel's writings, not in the Bible, but he wrote that Paul was an outstanding student and that his hardest thing with Paul was to keep him in books. He was a voracious reader, a tremendous scholar. So that's where Paul came at 12 years old. He came to, to Jerusalem. He came to sit at the feet of a man who had a deep knowledge of the scriptures, a great love for the Lord. Paul, because of his background, had a good working knowledge of, of culture and language and custom and history. But notice that he stretches to the crowd his Jewish roots, his Hellenistic exposure, and then he says at the end of verse 3, I grew up as zealous for the law as all of you are today. Great zeal. Paul will say to the Romans in chapter 10, I would bear you witness that, I have a, that they, the Jews, have a zeal for God, but they don't have it according to knowledge. Oh, they want, but they don't want to follow God's path to, to find out who he is and to know him. So it was misdirected zeal. A lot of religious zealots today. Programs, habits, customs, culture, symbolic symbolism. People get really crazy about religious things. But that doesn't mean they know the Lord. I've been where you're at. In fact, he says in verse 4, I was as zealous as you. I persecuted this way, speaking about the Christians, to the, to the death. I bound them. I delivered them to prison, both men and women, as also the high priest will bear me witness, as also the council of the elders from whom I received letters to the brethren, went to Damascus to bring in chains even those who were there to Jerusalem so that they could be punished. I was so zealous, I persecuted them. Hunted them down. Drove them away. Made them suffer. Those of the way. Jesus said, I'm the way. They said, all right, that's the way. I imprisoned men and women. I put them to death. You want to know zeal? I had zeal. You guys were, were, were amateurs trying to beat me up compared to what I used to do. I've stood where you've stood. I had extradition papers from the religious leaders in the Sanhedrin, signed by the high priest. I was the official agent of the Sanhedrin to eliminate them by their appointment with their full approval. I was a hitman for the Sanhedrin to go after Christians. See, I, if I'm in, in the cross, I'm going, man, I don't want to mess with that guy. I was standing too close. He might have hurt me. Just ask the high priest. Talk to the elders. You'll know about my, commit, uh, my commitment to the cause of Judaism in my youth and the teachings that I learned. I even traveled 170 miles all the way to Damascus to chain up Christians to bring them back here to, try, to stand trial to punish them for their uh, blasphemous ways. But his point is pretty soon, I was changed. In the most unique way, my eyes were opened. God visited me. And just as a side note, because I said to you, one of the best ways that God uses to reach others is to tell your testimony to others. I want you to notice here in Paul's testimony, he's very short on sin and very long on Jesus. Right? He gives us three verses about his old life. 
I've heard Christians want to just fascinate people with how horrible they were. And then at the end they go, oh, and then I got saved. Wrong emphasis. You were an idiot, then you got Jesus. What has he done in your life? That's the way we want to go. So Paul does that here by example. He quickly gets to his new life, what he found and what the Lord found in him. Verse 6. So verse 5, he's done. Now it happened, as I journeyed, coming near to Damascus about noon, suddenly a great light from heaven shone around me. And I fell to the ground. I heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? At high noon, as I neared Damascus for another round of Christian ethnic cleansing, an even greater light than the noonday light invaded my life. God stepped into my life. Paul would know Jesus for the rest of his life the way that he met him on the road that day. He didn't know Jesus like Peter did, or, or, or the apostles did. They didn't know Jesus, meek and lowly son of man, tired at night, sleeping on a rocking boat, in the flesh. He didn't know the Lord after the flesh. How he came to know Jesus was he called him the Lord from heaven. And you will constantly hear Paul in his writing say, and then I met the Lord of heaven, or the Lord from heaven. His experience with the Lord was pretty moving. He met Jesus the Lord. It moved his, his life forevermore. His first vision of Jesus was blinding and glorious and powerful. It put him on his wallet, <laughs> and it changed his life forever. So in a moment's time, and notice he's getting to his salvation already, this murderer changes allegiance and passion and direction from the zeal that he had for the law to the fire in his heart for this Jesus that he met. Completely changed in a moment. We read in verse 7, I fell to the ground and I, I heard a voice, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I said, who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. And those who were with me saw the light. They were afraid. They didn't hear the voice of him who was speaking to me. So I said, what shall I do, Lord? Isn't it interesting? In one minute, who are you, Lord? I'm Jesus. What do you want me to do? Imagine having your entire life work with great religious fervor, and you're already, you know, you've got all your stuff with you to drag Christians to their doom, and you now meet the one who you believe was an imposter, the one that these blasphemous Christians were worshiping. And now you find out that you were absolutely wrong, and you find out all at once. Who are you, Lord? I'm Jesus. What do you want me to do? Completely hammered his life. Changed him forever. Imagine the guilt and the nightmare of having to sit for the next three days in darkness because you're blinded by this experience and having to consider the households and the children and the parents and the disruption that you felt. If you read Paul's epistles, his old way of life haunted him for the rest of his life. It made him so thankful for God's mercy, but it overwhelmed him that he could be forgiven. He had been driven by such compassion and zeal, and now he finds this. 
You always know, I think, right away when somebody gets saved, when they start to say what Paul said, what do you want me to do, Lord? Well, that unfortunately is all that we have time for today, but we'll pick up the balance of Acts chapter 22 the next time we're together. This has been the first half of a two-part study taught by Pastor Jack Abelin. If you'd like to get the entire message, we do have that available for you. All you need to do to order is simply contact us and ask for study number 3082. When you get a hold of us, be sure to mention the call letters of the radio station that you're listening to. The same challenges that seek to hinder the church today were common in the Corinthian church back in Paul's day. In his letters to the Corinthians, he addressed such issues as politics, immorality, lawsuits, marriage, worldliness, and spiritual gifts, just to name a few. In working through these timely books, Pastor Jack analyzes Paul's biblical answers to each of these problems in light of today's church. And we're offering Pastor Jack studies through both the books of 1st and 2nd Corinthians from our Know the Book series on MP3. They're available in either CD or USB format. So if you'd like to order the 1st and 2nd Corinthians MP3 or to get today's study, simply dial our toll-free phone number at 866-88-GRACE. That's 866-884-7223. You can also order by mail. Just address your letter to Growing Through Grace, P.O. Box 1954, Whittier, California, 90609. And as always, we have this resource and all kinds of other things available online at growingthroughgrace.com. That's growingthroughgrace.com. That will bring things to a close for us today. We do appreciate you tuning in. So until next time, as you daily walk with our Lord Jesus Christ, may you continue to grow in His grace. Growing Through Grace is a listener-supported ministry brought to you by Morningstar Christian Chapel in Whittier, California, a Calvary Chapel outreach.